the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Bless it be, y'all. Bless it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Good morning, witches. Welcome to another episode of That Witch Life Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Kanani, and I am joined by my fellow co-hosts, Courtney and Hillary. Hey! Hello! And we are doing uh, a uh, summer solstice episode because the solstice is coming up soon, and so we thought that would be kind of a fun thing to discuss and talk about. Um, one of the things that, uh, I wanted to kind of bring up that I thought was pretty cool. Well, let me, let me pause by saying I'm outside right now, currently at a friend's house and they have a farm. So if you hear sheep buying in the background, it's not your husband. It's not my husband. It's not my children. They're not good at impressions. So you may, you may inadvertently every once in a while I hear a sheep or if you hear water running, I promise it's a fountain, and it's not me peeing. I've yet to actually pee during a broadcast, so. Which is actually shocking, considering how much time we spend on this and how much time each of us need to collectively pee. I I also said yet, so. But at this point, (laughs) that has not happened. So if you hear interesting background noise, it's because I am am literally on a farm right now. It's a nature faith. It's a nature-based faith. It's It's like the choir. That's right. And so, uh, although the horses go by, you, they don't typically make noise when they go by. So, but every once in a while, the sheep comes right up to the fence and, and starts making noise. But anyways, so if you hear some interesting background noise, that's why I'm outside on a farm. That's apparently what I do. And, uh, we've, we've been friends with these guys for, well, my husband's been friends with, um, one of these, one of these guys since college but what's funny is, as Courtney and Hillary very well know, uh, my knowledge of fruits and vegetables is pretty much non-existent. Yeah, a couple of people may remember a couple of episodes ago, um, I was buying some eggplant, and Kanani was like, what the hell is that? And I told her it was kale. And, yeah, so- um, and she knew it wasn't kale, but she did, yeah, no, she did. She knew it wasn't kale, but she really could not confirm that it was not kale either. It was just this whole thing. Yeah, oh my so, God. so last night, so we've been here a couple nights. Last night, we decided to have a barbecue. And we sent, we made a list for the guys to go get the food for the barbecue while we took the kids to go to a fruit stand and buy some produce and stuff. And so last night I'm helping to put together stuff in the kitchen for, for the burgers and the barbecue. (laughs) And I grabbed a bag and I'm like, oh, is this the lettuce you guys bought? And it looked kind of, you know, weird or whatever, but people buy weird things. That's what they do. And my friend looked at me and her jaw just dropped and she's like, that's kale. (laughs) I feel like it's just funny. Damn it! This is a this is the this is another kale interaction. Why do you hate? Have you even tried kale? I don't know. Clearly, I don't even know what it is. So I'm sitting here like, why do you hate it? It's because you've never tried it. It's weird looking, and it's it's wait 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 wait. wait, wait. And I think I have. I think I ate it one time, not knowing what it was. It was like in something. 
you've never tried kale and you talk all this shit about no, no, it? No, I've eaten stuff that had it in it, like salads. And I'm like, what is this? And they're like, oh, it's got kale. Isn't it so good? And I'm like, no, no, it's not good. It's not good. Have you tried it like outside of it being raw? I think so. I think I ate so I think the first time I had it was it was it was mixed into some sort of a, a dish of some kind. Mm, okay. Like a soba or something. I don't know. I but like, yeah. You can't talk shit on something that you haven't even tried. No, it's nasty. <laughs> and I apparently and I clearly I hate it so much I can't even identify it when it's in front of me. So anyways, that's kind of what I've been up to uh the last few days, uh hanging out at the farm and, and spending some time with with family friends. What have you all been up to? Um, you know, it's, it's been a combination of, um, battling invasive plants that have taken over our lawn and, um, you know, basically cursing the muses of the world. I think I've talked about this before, I think, and that I never got into the Harry Potter series, which I know for a long time was kind of considered blasphemous for a witch to not be into Harry Potter. And I'll tell you why. Up until recently, it was because I was just really mad at the fates for giving that idea to someone else. Because I would have loved to have written that series, but I didn't think of it. So therefore, somebody else did and has made a lot of money right now. And I'm even, and I finally came to peace with that, like, oh, maybe my time is coming, blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking this week, like, you know what? If the fates had just given me that idea, I could have written it and I wouldn't be a big giant transphobe right now about it and be a big boy. No. And so I'm sitting here going, that would just not, and I would have given away a lot of the money too, because I don't believe billionaires should exist. So it's like, okay, fate. So I'm just sitting here, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. My heart's been pretty heavy lately for a lot of reasons. You know, we've, we've, we've had more police killings this week and also, um, you know, just seeing, seeing someone with that much power really undermine, undermine the identities of people who have really found a lot of solace in her, or people in general, but I know a lot of queer, non-binary and trans people have really found a lot of solace in JK Rowling's books. And now, you know, she's, she's really just, it, it's, it is the, the greatest example of punching down. If friends, if you're not, if you're not familiar with what has happened, she is JK Rowling has been on this Twitter tirade recently about why, um, about trans women, not being actual women, which is not true. Trans women are women. And I cannot say that loud enough or hard enough, but she has, and she has said a lot of things to the, the contrary and is now spending, there's so many things that are going on in the world right now that are so painful and so awful and where she could be having such a powerful impact. She's choosing to literally bully and it's just made me very, very sad. I know it's really, you know, it, it, it's so disappointing because you talk about someone who wrote a series that really celebrates people who are celebrates inclusivity and saying like these people, we want them to be part of something bigger, right? We want them to be part of this, of this community. And then you have her going, I believe in championing, championing, championing women, but not these women. Right. And it's like, it's just so disappointing for someone who is in such a place of power and visibility, who, who has said for eternity, what a hardcore feminist she is to say, these women don't matter. And yeah. outside of saying these women don't matter, her words, 
you know, when you're, when you are in that place of visibility, like it's not just your opinion, you're spreading your opinion to many people that listen to you and believe in you. Right. Yeah. And you're taking an already incredibly dangerous place for trans women and making it even more dangerous, dangerous and even more exclusionary. You know, trans women already have the hardest time to fight for space and visibility And not only does she harbor these opinions, which is disgusting to begin with, but she uses her platform of celebrating differences, right. To punch down at at literally the most, one of the most vulnerable, vulnerable groups of people there is. So anyway, just for for our members of our, of our audience who are are trans, non-binary or otherwise just really hurt by JK Rowling's actions, you know, we see you and we hear you and we're, you know, we are deeply disappointed in the the actions of this. I think it's an important reminder that I think there's, there's often times, and I was actually talking to someone about this earlier. There's kind of this perception that people who kind of are in the magical community and, and that practice, you know, witchcraft and and other forms of paganism, that there's a very uh, open-mindedness it's very liberal, it's very accepting, it's very inclusive. And, and I think that, that that's definitely can hold true, but it's also a reminder, and I think it can be very jarring for people when they see where it's not, because there are definitely spaces where it is not inclusive and it is, it is not as diverse as you would think. And there are, there are um, groups of people who get, uh, who get isolated and, and are not welcome to join and, so I think these are kind of like, that's why some of these instances where things like this happen really hurt is because I think that a lot of people kind of find a safety in this kind of magical community. And then when they reach these, hear these people say these things and it's like, wait, that's literally, you know, the opposite of how you've made me feel up until this point. And then now you're telling me what your feelings are and you're telling me that I'm not okay. Like you've been telling me this whole time that who I am, I should be who I am and that that's okay. And that, you know, the world loves me and accepts me and I should, you know, be comfortable to be my true self. But now you're telling me that my true self isn't real. So I think that it's, you know, it kind of helps to show that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done within the magical community as far as um, embracing others and inclusivity and that it's not necessarily this, you know, super liberal safe space. I mean, I think that's true. I mean, I think that there is a lot of inclusivity in the magical community and there are a lot of really amazing people that champion and elevate, uh, those that are most vulnerable, but it is not, uh, free from hatred or exclusion or phobias or racism or, you know, any of it. So I think that, you know, what we can do as a community is continue to make sure that we include and elevate, especially those that are the most vulnerable among us. Um, because that's what a community like ours should do. But, other than that, um, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been working on some musical projects. So I have a virtual show happening on June 26th 
um, at 8 PM, uh, through the city lights theater company. Um, and I can share it on our page, but it's a, it's a really amazing work, uh, by an artist called Chalista and it's, um, the piece is called transfigurations and it's really all it's, it's really centers a lot around social justice issues, specifically around displacement and, uh, gentrification. Um, so it's a really beautiful piece. So I'm excited to have that coming up. So I've been doing some filming and recording to contribute. There'll be some live elements, some pre-recorded elements. Um, obviously it's a challenge to get when you have multiple instruments together to try and do something live together without any leg is, is virtually impossible right now. Um, but it's still very exciting to be able to participate in we'll post the link. It's going to be a, it's, it's a really powerful performance. Um, I can't wait. Cause I haven't seen you perform in years. Cause the time that Kanani and I tried to go and everything was running really late. And because we're yeah, old and, and I had a flight to catch, we had to leave before you even got on stage. Oh my God. That's right. Well, one of the things I wanted to share with everybody, we've posted it uh, on Facebook at least once. I'm going to post it again uh, this week. Uh, it's the fact that um, a lot of a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with Stonehenge, and because of what's going on with uh, the pandemic and social distancing and, and whatnot, they've made arrangements that the group. Hanami, I don't know. I don't know what Stonehenge is. I think you should. Yeah. What, um, what's Stonehenge? Okay. Well, we'll we'll get into some of that, but they've made <laughs> arrangements with some of the groups that um, would usually do their summer solstice ritual there that they're actually going to be, they, they're not allowed to be there for social distancing reasons, but, um, but they are going to live stream summer solstice at, uh, at Stonehenge. And so for those who are not necessarily familiar with, uh, with Stonehenge, um, it's, uh, it, it's where they, it's stones that were placed in such a way, uh, that I'm trying to explain how, how would you even explain it? It's almost like a sundial, like a giant sundial. And mm. uh, for the summer solstice, uh, the sun comes directly between these two stones and it, it perfectly aligns with these stones. And then for the winter solstice, if you turn 180 degrees and look out the other way, this the stones perfectly align with the sunrise and the sunset for the winter solstice. And yes, so, so this is in a yes, yeah, Stonehenge is in England. Yes, and it was built in about 2500 BC. Yeah. And so I don't know how to explain it. I'm like it's a giant sundial, but it's well, amazing. It's like we don't really yeah, and there's not a there's not a lot that is known about Stonehenge. I mean, it is a it's stones like you said, it's a stone circle. These giant pieces of of rock that are balanced in this very way that you're they're not even entirely sure how they got there they got there because rock isn't uh isn't native to that that type of rock native to that area right yeah Yeah, it's they're sarsen stones and it says um if you were to stand in the middle of the stone circle on midsummer's day the sun rises just to the left of the heel stone uh an outlying stone uh to the northeast of the monuments and they had found another large stone hole next to it that they believe at one time there had been two stones there. So you would actually look in between them. And then if you were to turn around and look out the opposite direction, that it would line up perfectly with winter's day, the solstice. And so, um, 
yeah, they there's there's very little known about it. And that, but other than that, they perfectly align with the solstice axes and, um, it's, it's pretty amazing and remarkable. I mean, they've been around since 2,500 BC. But what you're saying is that people can tune in and actually watch the summer solstice ritual at Stonehenge this year. But yeah, so because of the social distancing and the pandemic, they will not allow people who would usually have ritual celebrations. Um, instead, they're going to do a, a live video footage. So we'll have a link for people who are interested to check it out and watch it online if they want. I think it would be amazing that's always been one of those places that I would love to just kind of stand at and look at and be amazed by. Um, but yeah, so I think that's very cool that for the first time ever, they're actually going to live stream being able to look at the solstice through Stonehenge. Uh, so that's one of the things I will be doing for the summer solstice. Is there anything that you ladies are going to be doing for summer solstice? Well, I'm excited because this summer solstice lines up with a new moon. And it also lines up with Father's Day. Now, Father's Day, I mean, I love my dad, so I'm celebrating him and I'm looking forward to that. But I feel like there's a lot of magical power around this specific day because uh, summer solstice is the longest day of the year. And I'm not looking in front of me to see exactly what time the summer solstice is this year, if it, if it you know varies from the actual new moon or not. But um, there is a new moon on June 21st. And again, speaking in the Northern Hemisphere, our Southern Hemisphere friends are now entering into winter solstice. Um, but you know, for those of us up here, this is what we're, we're experiencing. And summer solstice is a, is a very magical spirit-infused time. I, my husband and I have noticed that the dog has been acting a little funny lately, and we've tried to figure out why, like, is, is, he, is he eating normal? Yes. Is, did we screw up his medication? No. We, we checked all the boxes. But he gets really nervous at night, and he's been looking at things that we don't see. And so I feel like we're starting to experience some, some spirit activity. I mean, Shakespeare wrote an entire play about the, the entrance of, of fairy-like beings and spirits on Midsummer. So it's a time of um, a lot of beautiful magic that can happen and aligning with, with the spirit world. And because it's on a new moon, which we know is about renewal and cleansing and releasing, and because it's also on Father's Day, which you could, you could associate as a day aligned with patriarchy, I feel like this is a really powerful time to do some magic to change the course of where different, um, different nations are going, especially here in the United States where we're seeing a real toxic kind of patriarchy that is doing a lot of damage. I feel like this is a time that we can work on switching those things. Um, so that's the magic that I'm going to be doing for the world, which will really piss off our troll. Oh, my God, you guys, we had a troll last week on Twitter. Oh, my God. She was so wigged out. Oh, yeah, she was crazy. She was so fucking freaked out about our interview with Misha because we were talking about doing full moon magic that would benefit, you know, benefit social justice. And she just went on slate and us and many other people doing that same kind of work. Um, I, we did record it. We changed her, the voice, like the sound of her voice for her protection. You can hear it. If you listen to the end of our episode after our, our end music, we often stick something funny at the end. So if you stick through us till the end here, you're going to, you're going to hear that. Uh, the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take the crystal that I first charged at winter solstice. So as you guys remember, I got up at dawn at winter solstice, which dawn was like at almost eight o'clock in the morning that day. Cause it's, it's the shortest day of the year and caught the first light of dawn in my, my crystal. Well, I'm going to do that again for summer solstice and the, and it'll probably be close to 10 o'clock at night because the sun stays up very, very late in our part of the world this time of year. 
And I'm going to catch the last rays of the sun on summer solstice in this crystal. So it will continue to infuse it with the power to shine light on things. So I can use this crystal if I want to call attention to, say, my writing or to, say, our podcast or to other um, areas of my life that I feel need more attention. I can use that that energy in that work. So I'm going to be doing a couple of different things on on a summer solstice for that reason. Yeah, so... Um... I also, similarly, um, I had planned to recharge that crystal as well. Um, and then I had a dual plan ritual also, which was really, again, around, um, bringing, shedding light on or bringing attention to people that are fighting for social justice causes. Right. So really finding a way to get more visibility for voices that need to be heard louder. Um, and then, and then equally for my personal life to, again, draw energy towards some of the things that, uh, some of the creative projects that I'm, uh, working on that I, that I really want to see, uh, see get attention in the next year. So very similar to you, Courtney, actually, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, for me, it's important to, you know, uh, focus on the world, but also make time to focus on myself too. Great. And with all that being said, we would really like to introduce Dr. Beverly. Dr. Beverly is a two-headed conjure woman, an empath, and a justified spiritual worker. She is a root worker, a diviner skilled in bone reading and tarot, formerly a Druid high priestess of the Druidic craft of the wise, the American right. She is a lifelong student of herbalism, aromatherapy, African-American and Caribbean-American folk magic. Dr. Beverly custom blends and handcrafts spiritual baths, conditioned soaps, oils, and sachets in small batches, freshly made to order for each client. She's a Reiki master and longtime yogi. She believes in the mind-body-soul connection to spiritual growth and healing. Dr. Beverly is available for readings, root work, and spiritual counseling. She has a soft spot for sex workers, dancers, gamblers, and all of those who are discriminated against in any way. She may be found on Facebook, Dr. Beverly, Spiritual Gangsta, and online at www.docbev.com. That's fantastic. My favorite bios. It's, uh, well, here's the thing is also, um, I got to know Dr. Beverly from PantheaCon, and one thing she did not mention is that she should have been awarded Best Dressed at PantheaCon every year, because she always showed up looking fabulous every time I saw her. And I'm, like, trying to, like, basically dress and bathe and feed myself after four days of just bombardment by by witchcraft community. And there's Dr. Beverly, like, I have my own personal dresser and stylist, and here I am looking perfect. <laughs> I don't know that you do, from, but you look like you do. <laughs> I'm from New York City. We have to represent. Uh, I was I was living in New York then, and I still couldn't represent. I'm like <laughs> I'm reading the bio and I'm shopping at the same time. I'm like, ooh, handcrafted sachets and oh, oils, and I'm like, no, stop, read, read, stop shopping, stop shopping. Stop shopping. <laughs> um, so, this this has not been the first time it's happened where Kanadi gets so distracted by the guest offerings that she just stops the interview and goes no, online I'm like, shopping. Pay attention! Pay attention! <laughs> Thank you. That was just a, just wonderful to listen to you read that. <laughs> My goodness, we are so excited to have you on uh, to talk with us today. And uh, one of the things that um, we got to see was some amazing pictures. Uh, that you had taken from uh, Burning Man Festival. 
Yes, those were Burning Man pictures. Um, I sent you a sampling from 2015 through 2019. I literally have thousands of those. It's a great event, and I would suggest that anybody that could possibly get to it to try it out, you're going to have a great time. It's a great great place. I, I actually was there in 15 and 12. And it's a really incredible experience. Um, in 12, I was there with a, um, with a large sound camp, um, on Esplanade. And then in 15, I was actually, uh, doing work for Burning Man, um, and helping, uh, help assisting with stage managing of the two stages that were at the base of the man. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I performed both years as well. So it was, uh, it's just a really incredible experience. It's, it's, uh, there's nothing like it. And I, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's not an easy, it's, I said, someone the other day asked me, how was your, ex-? you know, I was asking me about Burning Man and my experience. And I was like, it's not an easy experience, but it is an cr- incredible experience. Oh, it's transformative. It's transformative. You're absolutely right. There's nothing easy about Burning Man. No. It's all um, I'm not going to call it a struggle to survive, but you must be planned. You must have plans. You must have a, a, a structure. You must have a vision of how you're going to get through those eight days. Do you remember that huge dust storm? Oh, yeah. Friday? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's man. the fun thing about Burning Man. So I... You know, I think that Burning Man, again, it like it tests you on it's like it it really is transformative because, on you know, it's not only do you experience and see things and art and and magic and everything that you can't even begin to describe. Um, it also tests you on a, a physical and emotional level because it is it is a not the easiest environment, but I, I truly and those dust storms, I mean, those dust storms are like terrifying, but magical in their own sense. You know, it's like you, you're like, well, I just, I, here I am. I'm just going to sit here because I can't see two inches in front of my face. <laughs> come on now. Come on. You know, that huge one on Friday. Yeah, I remember was just that. Plain I was terrifying. There was no magic in that one. It was really scary. I was uh, um, I was working the stage on that one. So, but it was, I feel like I feel like that magic can be terrifying, though. And yeah, that, it's true. So there's 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 magic. Like, in, I mean, to me, I clearly wasn't there, but the kinds of uh, fears and 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 that's that's actually the earth itself. I've heard all these stories about like you know these suburban witches that are in, not saying that's you guys at all by any means, but see these suburban witches that are like, oh, I want to and you know embrace the elements. Let's do a ritual in the woods at night. And then you have a rainstorm that comes up or you have, you have all of a sudden it gets very dark and your light is not sufficient. You're, you know, you, you drop your flashlight or your candles go out. And so you're faced with the actual raw terror of the earth, which is what has inspired our ancestors to start trying to create magic, like to deal with, Oh my God, it's a fucking dust storm. What do we do? Call the sheriff <laughs> to help. You know, it's so true. It's like so talk true. about getting back to your basics. Y'all. Oh, it's so true. That is that is a fact. A lot of our magic has been developed to deal with situations, whether they be brought on by nature or brought on by 
our neighbors or brought on by the tribe across the way. You know, our magic, our sympathetic magic that we wield, those of us who know what we do, that comes from need, from needing to save ourselves from the elements, needing to feed our families, needing to protect ourselves. So absolutely, this mother of ours, Gaia, has taught us that we have to have fear and awe of her. And we respect her as our mother. And so I do see the magic in both the fearsome and the terrifying. I think it's really true because I think that um, whenever I'm in those situations where something that Mother Earth creates genuinely terrifies me, it just like, it, it, it is scary, but it does, it, it does, it, it, it provide, gives me like such amount, it's such a large amount of respect because I'm like, Oh, you could take me out right this second. I get that. I totally understand that. And I honor, I honor the power that you hold. Right. And I think that those scary moments where, where we are, you know, whether it be a dust storm or a rainstorm or a flood or whatever, it's like, that is terrifyingly powerful And it just makes you have, it makes me at least have this like huge amount of reverence for the power that Mother Earth is, you know? Well, she likes to remind us of our place every Mm -hmm. once in a while, you know? We tend to forget that we are animals, like all the other creatures of this planet. And we tend to feel a lot of hubris you know and a lot of ego and she likes to slap slap us back to next week or back to last week once in a while so we we learned a lot about well i we've talked a lot about um your experiences and whatnot at burning man but what and i'm i'm hoping we get to post some of the pictures and stuff because they're absolutely incredible but what are some of the other please post those oh yay what are some other um like fabulous summer solstice festivals that that you've been a part of or that you really found inspiring? Well, you know, I spent 20 years as a Druid. And during those 20 years, I moved up in the ranks to high priestess. So I've seen a lot of fabulous solstice uh celebrations. One thing that my coven used to do is I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and drive an hour and a half to the, uh, I want to call it local, but to the beach because I live in Southern California. So I drive from the mountains to the beach. It was first come first serve to secure the bonfires the bonfire pits that they had on the beach. And so I would go and I would reserve by hanging out there until my people arrived at noon. We would hang out. Some of us would hang out from 5.30 in the morning until people arrived. And then we'd do fabulous bonfire and frolicking in the sea and flying 
tights and telling stories and belly dancing. So I've had 20 years of amazing spiritual community experiencing the beautiful sea or the woods because, you know, we were Druids and we put great reverence in forests. So we would often do our forest uh, habits during Lamas and for Beltane. But summer solstice was always the beach. Always the beach. Beautiful. That There's so amazing. much magic at the summer solstice. We drew, The Druid group that I was with was called the, Druid, the Druidic Craft of the Wise. And it was the American right, the American R-I-T-E, not opposite of left, but the American right, R-I-T-E. Very important distinction these days. (laughs) Yes, you've got to make that distinction. When when I heard the introduction read, I was like, oh, no, I hope nobody thinks I'm part of the right wing, you know. One of the things that we often ask our guests, which I would love to hear, is um, at what point and how did you know that you were a witch? I didn't know the term, but I knew that I was definitely different from the rest of my family. They're evangelical Christians, and I was probably a preschooler when I know it's going to sound crazy, but I saw fairies. I don't know if they're called the fae or different people call them different things, but the little entities that live outside in the foliage. I saw them with my own eyes and I would tell my parents and they would shush me because I was a a baby. You know, I'm a preschooler. They would shush me and tell me that I was seeing things that it's your little invisible friends, you know, that sort of thing. Very condescending, but not mean spirited. And as I got older, I found myself disputing out loud a lot of the religious teachings that I was being brought up in. I went to a parochial school from kindergarten, not kindergarten, from first grade through university, all right? So through Four years of university, all the way back, I went to a parochial school. And every step of the way, I was arguing with the professors, pissing the religious leaders off, constantly having people call my parents at home complaining about me. From the beginning, I was never buying any of that evangelical self from the very beginning. Now, once I left my parents' home after graduating from college, I was able to completely divest myself of evangelical Christian spirituality. And I totally rejected that. I started feeling more myself 
as you know, as you get into your 20s and you start becoming your own person, you start throwing away the things that don't work for you. And that's what happened. I started reading. I My first book on spirituality was by Louisa Teich, Chief Teich. And I believe her book is called The Natural Woman's Guide to Spirituality and is loosely based on African traditional religions and Eurasia. And she was the first book that I read off that order. And then I started reading other books. I probably first found Druidism through that book, The Myths of Avalon. Now, I know that that book has become sort of uh, reviled in some circles because of the author's beliefs on certain subjects. But that <laughs> was the book that, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. That was a theme we were talking about before you came on about, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter and that you've got a book that's highly inspirational with an author that's highly problematic. Exactly. Um, anyway, sorry to interrupt there. Go ahead. No, but that's that's how I found Druidism. Because in reading that fiction, I felt there was something that spoke to my, my heart, to my soul. And I stayed in that tradition for 20 years until I felt that I wanted something a little less Eurocentric. And so when my co-priest left the tradition because he wanted to do something less Eurocentric, he was Cuban, bless his heart, he has, uh, he's left us, he's transitioned six years ago, but he wanted something less Eurocentric, and that was probably about 15 years ago. And he discovered conjure and hoodoo, which is African-American folk magic. It's not a religion per se. Many of the practitioners are religious. Many consider themselves Christian. But you don't need a religion to practice conjure. And he introduced me to it. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is some of the very same things that my Jamaican family speaks of when they speak of Obia. Obia is Jamaican folk magic. And it's almost identical to conjure and hoodoo in some of the very same root workings. We call spells root work because we work almost exclusively with herbs, flowers, stems, roots, anything plant matter because the Africans believe that all plants had spirit and had jobs to do according to their agreements with spirit. So we use herbs and roots and flowers in all of our root workings. And when I discovered that, then I retired 
from being a high priestess in the Druidic craft of the wise. And I love my Druid brothers and sisters. I love those people. But I needed to do something that was truer to my ancestry. And so that's what I do right now. That's what I've been doing for about the last 15 years or so informally. And then the last seven or years, very, uh, what's the word? I do it only. I do, I do it exclusively. So is there anything you do differently, um, now, uh, through that for summer solstice is do you still kind of do something similar or have you kind of changed what you do for the solstices well you know they say once a druid always a druid because druidry is about nature it's about being in tune with the energies and the cycles and the rhythms of the earth so i always know what season it is, what Sabbath it is. I always am in tune with the lunar cycles. I always know what cycle the lunar is in right now. That comes from being a Druid. So no, I'll always celebrate these seasons because they're not tied to any religion. They're tied to our celestial cycles. So the sun shines on us all? No, of course. Of course I don't do anything differently. We still celebrate the the solstice. My family still does that. We always make sure that we're somewhere relaxing, playing, taking pleasure, eating good food, and always with a bonfire. Always. To celebrate the height of summer to celebrate the height of the sun and to celebrate being alive. So no, I don't see any reason to stop celebrating and observing the sun cycles. Mm. I just love that. What you said about using this time to celebrate being alive. What a blessing. What a beautiful, beautiful way. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. We should all be playing. We should all be taking pleasure on the solstice. It is all about being alive. And I feel like that's so important, especially coming out of this pandemic. I mean, we're still, well, I will say, I wouldn't even say we're coming out of it. We're still very much in it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then um, also with, with, the, with so much a pain and loss an injury happening to the members of our black community happening mm-hmm. now. It's like, let us all celebrate, you know, the, the life that the life and togetherness that whenever we can and however we can. Right. Yeah. I've been grieving. I've been grieving a lot. I wasn't sure that I could do this podcast because we've been in a lot of pain in the community and in my household. Um, but With the solstice coming, we knew that we had to do what we've always done. And what we have done for the last 20 years, we have always found a time around the solstice, which is often around Father's Day, to celebrate and be with my family at the river 
we have always hit it for the river after the coven um, celebrations. We've always hit it for Kern River, and we spend the better part of the week up there. Bonfires, fishing, swimming, hanging around, doing nothing, drinking beer. It's good. One mm-hmm. of the things you've brought up a lot is you have a lot of experience in group practice and group work. And we actually had a yes. really interesting uh, listener question came in that we thought maybe you could kind of help with. I am a lone practitioner and have recently moved to an area of the country where I do not yet have a witchcraft community. Recently, I am feeling the need to explore joining or creating a coven. Strength in community feels especially important these days. However, I do feel apprehensive about how to go about this and placing trust in a circle of people, particularly women, after having experienced many forms of betrayal. So perhaps I am not the best candidate and or need to do spell work around attracting like-minded practitioners. Are there best practices on covens or joining them, forming them? How do you avoid the complexities that cause burnout Ego battles, power struggles, etc. <laughs> what exactly wow. happens during coven gatherings? And would you recommend this sort of participation versus being solo if one lives in an area that is less populous than the major cities? Would it be essential to have folks from the same traditions? And do you anticipate this as challenging? There's so many things in that. <laughs> wow, there's so much to unpack. So much. Ten All right. Less, go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Holy words. On, it's going to be a big ride. Those are my 10 words or less. All right. Here we go. Number one, I would say you know yourself best. If you are a person who is more comfortable in a community of like-minded people, then you are not going to be happy as a solo or solitary practitioner. So first things first, know thyself, all right? Now, if you have determined that you would rather be in a community of like-minded people, the trick now is to find them. I was lucky enough that I lived in an area Southern California, where the where you throw a stone and you'll hit a person or a group that's offering classes, and that's what happened. I went to a local, um, what do you call them? I don't know, like an esot- uh, esoteric New Agey book- shop, witchy shop. Yeah, a bookstore, and looked at the the teachers. On the, on the community board, chose one, went to that class, loved him, stayed with him for 20 years. So you might get lucky in finding a group that you like, or you may have to go through the painful steps of joining community and then separating from community for whatever reason. There are all kinds of reasons as varied as the people in that community that you, you know, all kinds of reasons that you may not want to stay on with them. But the first thing is to find a teacher. Now, no 
who try to know who you are dealing with. All right. I cannot speak for any tradition, but the tradition that I was involved in and with Druids, no one stands up and calls themselves a teacher. No one stands up and calls themselves an initiate or a priest without eldership. In the Druidic craft of the wise, one person helps the other person up. It's like climbing up a ladder. The rung ahead of you is there to help you, and you leave a rung behind you to help those climbing up the same ladder. So in the Druidic craft of the wise, we had to study as a teacher, as a student teacher, for up to two years. And then we taught interested students who then studied with us if they chose, because they had freedom to leave you if you wanted. They studied with the teacher for two years. And the teacher would either remain a teacher or the teacher then could take their students. And in my case, you had to have a total of 13 students, including yourself, 13 people, initiates, that go through the two-year process and become initiated. And then once you gather 13 people together and have a vote, and they vote on which two people would be their leadership, then you would be considered a coven by the leadership, the elders that were before you. And elders in this case is not necessarily age, but people who were in the tradition longer than you. So it wasn't one of those that you just hang a shingle and say, hey, I'm a priestess. Come and join my group. I'm going to initiate you and we're going to be a group. No, this was years of commitment and, and building community. So I would suggest for anyone who is looking to build or join a community to find like-minded people study together, uh, celebrate the Sabbaths together, the Esbats, the, you know, the monthly moons, celebrate the eight Sabbaths together, party together, drink together, eat together, and see if you like and love each other. That's my suggestion. Yeah, I think that um, I mean, coven work can be really um, can be really really helpful for a lot of people, but it can also be extremely challenging. She mentioned she'd had some issues with betrayal, and one of the, mm-hmm. the challenges with coven work is that it can bring out the worst in people. Absolutely, um, yeah. Magic it magic does bring out can bring out our we often call it our shadow side, but I think mm-hmm. it, it brings out the stuff that we need to work on. 
And unfortunately, the people that are going to deal with that are the people closest to you within that magical circle. So this does not mean you need to stick around with people that are abusive or not working for you. But I think it's, it's fair to have that expectation. You're not going to suddenly find a group that everybody is, is whole and balanced and well and everybody functions perfectly the majority of the time. That's just not going to happen with magic. That's um, right. And so that's, I, I really appreciate what Beverly was saying about the need for, um, for structure and initiation. This is not about gatekeeping. Um, this is about that when you are in charge of a group of people's spiritual development, there are tools and practices you need to have in place and you need to have your own self-work to a place where you can help them with that. Otherwise you're all going to hurt each other. And I say that with full experience. I mean, I'm raising my hand over here because that's how I got started with my coven is that I started with um, people that just wanted to come together for the Sabbaths, which was fun and was great. But then people started to get more serious. And although I had um, some really excellent, um, some excellent teachers, a lot of my magical training was very much a crash course. And I was not really set up, I felt like to, um, I, I learned a lot on the job. And I can say that nine years in, um, I had some mm-hmm. really good boundaries and structure in place and I was mm-hmm. a very good priestess, but in the beginning I screwed up a lot and a lot of people's feelings got hurt along the way because I just didn't know what I was doing. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're just being, you're, you're, you're accountable. You're trying to be accountable. Yeah. Absolutely. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And so I feel like for this listener, it is hard because she says finding like-minded people. And I would say, don't put too much pressure on yourself. You're asking a lot of questions like, how about this? How about this? You're, I think the biggest question that you are probably addressing right now is to find your like-minded people. Um, you know, look, do some Google searches in your state to say, or, or on Facebook, there's probably some group somewhere and just see who's doing something for summer solstice, or maybe see if anybody wants to do something for summer solstice, super casual, just like Beverly said, everybody brings some food Great idea. Yeah, we're just going to get together and eat. And in those circumstances, rituals tend to organically develop. Um, The other alternative is that you you, you could approach some online schools. And through those online schools, you may find people who are also taking those online schools that are within a day's drive of you. Um, The two that off the top of my head, and and, um, Dr. Beverly may have others, is I think of the Temple of Witchcraft or um, Sisterhood of Avalon. Sisterhood of Avalon is for people who identify as women, and uh, Temple of Witchcraft is open to all genders. Excellent. Yeah, and so that you could, people take those classes from all over the world, and so you may be able to find people that are like, oh, you're also taking these classes too. We should get together. And to be honest, the person who is asking the questions is never going to find a group where there won't be someone who disappoints them. Yes. They're never going to find that because people are people. And even your best friends can reduce you to tears sometimes. So she has to realize, I don't know if it's a she, they have to realize that no perfect group exists. No perfect system group exists. If they know the type of magic that they want to practice or if they know the type of group do they want druids do they want fairy do you know what do they want they could actually be more specific and find those folks but they need to know that there is no perfect coven out there and 
I'm just going to say it. If they are too fragile for interpersonal work, they might want to stay solitary. Mm-hmm. Because interpersonal work is the only thing we do in covens. And feelings are bound to get hurt. People are going to be salty sometimes. People are going to have bad days. So if a person is too tender for that, solitary work is probably best for them. At least, yeah, at least for a period of time. And there sounds right. like there's some at healing. Least until they, yeah. they heal. Yeah, it sounds you know? like there's some healing that needs to happen from the, from the past group. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think that kind of I, I'm also in agreement that I like kind of how you talked about finding just kind of find people that you get along with and that just mm-hmm. kind of want to do what you want to do and, and, and start with just kind of the celebrations. And if you can mm-hmm. kind of go well that way, it, like you said, it does kind of it can evolve into a more uh I don't know if elaborate is the right word, but a, a more personal type of practice together for rituals and whatnot. But it will you really need grow. to have that comfort and and just get along and and you know security within that group. You can just hang out. You can just hang out and be friends. Mm-hmm. And and because like you said, people people are fallible and people will disappoint you and people will do things that are frustrating. And so it helps when you have kind of that camaraderie separate from mm-hmm. it and ability to kind of forgive and, and understand and things like that. It, it makes it easier because it does kind of be, it becomes like a family. And so you need to be That's able to just enjoy each other's company. Enjoy each other's company. If you find people who you enjoy, who are like-minded, something is going to develop from that. Mm. You don't even have to look for classes or look for community. If you find friends, then community is going to develop. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, it's, I, I, uh, Kanani brought up the notion of family and I always kind of bristle a bit when I hear people talk about their coven as like a chosen family, because it sets up an expectation that Mm -hmm. these people are always going to be there. And it also tends to attract unwillingly a lot, like, I, an idealized family that perhaps you didn't have growing up. Um, and, and so I always get nervous because in when some, because one of the natural parts of a coven's lifespan is, is members leave. Maybe they right. leave because they, it's not working for them anymore or true. there was a disagreement that couldn't work. And then the kind of devastation that can happen when people say, but we're family, how could you leave? And my response was always, I remember, I remember yes. Courtney, when you left New York, I remember. Oh, you you remember that trauma? Oh, my God. Well, I wasn't, you know, party to it firsthand, but I remember you mentioning something on your news feed, the the pain and that that sense of betrayal that your coven mates felt when you had to move. (laughs) And, you know, and I I will say the the coven mates that were still remaining were... um, were very supportive. I mean, they were sad, Yeah. but here's what was funny. Where the support came from was from a former coven member who had actually left three years before mm-hmm. because they wanted to do something else. And I, to me, that was a wonderful thing because this person had come in to our coven at, and I, I realized I'm, I'm kind of treading on, on, 
on shaky ground by talking about somebody's process. So I'm going to do the best I can to keep these details anonymous. So this person, this person came in absolutely terrified of being rejected by us because they had been rejected by previous coven. And so there was many years where I was doing a lot of work with them. Like you've got to work on this, this fear of rejection. I said, tell me what you mm-hmm. see that makes you feel like you're being rejected. And whenever they couldn't place it, I'm like, okay, just keep doing the work. All right. So the next ritual, da, 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 you've got a role in it, practice, but that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then at one point they said, you know, I'm just kind of tired of traveling so much on the weekends and my job's really busy. I just kind of feel like I need to move on. And I was sad to see them go. But to me, that was celebration because that meant they had overcome this thing they'd been so afraid of. But well, then- look at it like this. We don't stay in our mother's home forever. No, we no. don't. Some so- people join covens to grow. And when they have grown, they leave. Yeah. It should never be taken personally. Exactly. And that's where, that's where the, the, that specific situation was so painful because that person decided that I was betraying them and no longer wanted me in their life because their thing was, what if I want to come back? Where will you be? Right. And I was so hurtful because I had been so supportive of them. Like, go forth, do what you need to do. Why can't you offer that to me? And And even today, the exchange is this still happens with this person where they're like, you abandoned me. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, but you left. And that's okay. I was, I was glad for you. And so for you not to extend that to me is so painful. It's so painful. And the thing is, people don't realize when they, when they, you know, um, aspire to the priesthood that you become your covenant's parents their spiritual parents and so they often feel that your actions are personal to them mm-hmm. you know when i left my group they i don't know if they felt betrayed but there was a certain anger there because they thought that i would be there forever like a mother. And I had come to a place where that tradition had fed me and nurtured me and cared for me. And now I was full. I was healed. I was prepared and ready for the next stage of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I think anyone that's looking to join a group or looking to build a group has to understand that no coven is permanent. Covens are a nest for people to grow, for fledglings to grow. Fledglings of what, you might ask? Fledglings of this classroom called life. And when they need to move on to a different stage... We need to let them go and we need to let them go with joy and with gratitude. I think when I I try and encourage people to be mindful, you know, we all have experiences that make us fear things, whether that be rejection or, um, or whatever that may be, that is our past trauma or our past Mm -hmm. quote unquote baggage. I don't necessarily like to use that term, but you know, um, I think that, something to remember is that that is something that is yours. And when you come into a new community space, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. totally okay to be vulnerable and honest about what your experiences have been, 
but it is equally your responsibility mm-hmm. to take control of that and work on that within yourself. Because if you have a trauma, all of us have experienced trauma of some mm-hmm. sort in our mm-hmm. life. And it, and we, and that carries throughout our lives, but it's also our responsibility to, um, to do the work on ourselves so that when we do come into a community space that we don't rely on them to take the, the brunt right. of that work that we haven't done on ourselves, right. because while a community, a coven, a group, any sort of community is a, a group of people that, that are there to elevate you and help you and, 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 you know, help you learn and grow. You have to be committed to doing that work within yourself as Mm -hmm. well. They can't be the Mm -hmm. only ones teaching you or showing you, you have to be proactive in that process as well. So if there's something that, that you carry with you, I, I highly suggest diving into that as well so that when you come to the community, you're able to, to understand why the way you are feeling, why that's coming up so that you're not projecting that onto the community around you or expecting them to carry that for you. Right. And I think that's where the perception that group work can be so toxic It's because a lot of people who really should be talking to therapists are bringing it to the coven. I always wish that we had, you know, going away parties for coven members who were leaving on good terms. Um, That was just never a thing. And I always wish it was. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I think, well, I think it's like you, like you talked about, you know, like, even when you're, you know, when you're, and I think it's kind of a similar dynamic, like when you're family and you're close and you love each other and all of a sudden someone gets a great job offer and they're moving across the country, like, you know, of course you, you can be a little sad because you're going to miss them. But when you really love them, like you're excited for them. Like, holy crap, exactly. it's a great opportunity. Like, you know, well, I guess we're just going to have to chalk on the phone or, you know, whatever. But, but ultimately when you really love someone and you're that bonded with someone, you know, the, 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 the right response is, is to be excited for their new excitement and to, mm-hmm. to be excited that they're starting the next part of their journey and not just right. kind of sit around and, oh, woe is me, you know, now they don't love me anymore. It's like, well, that has nothing right. to do with, you know, what's happening right now. I think that's a really good point is that we must really look at group work or cover membership, whatever you want to call it. But group work is never going to be permanent. Enjoy each other, play, worship together, help each other where you can, but never expect therapy from your group and never expect permanence enjoy each other, live in the moment. This is where being a yogi comes in. Live in the moment. Enjoy those folks while you're, while you have each other. I think, I think that's a really important, I think that's a really important. um, And I think if you, if you go into it with that philosophy, I think that would really help someone to kind of maintain an understanding of this is a part of their journey and that this is not the mm-hmm. answer to their journey. Because I feel like sometimes right. that's what people are looking for is an answer to their journey. 
And the reality is your journey is going to be long and it's going to change. And you want to adapt to that change. And you also want to find people who, who will adapt with you, you know, who, even if you're really good friends and you both join one coven and you think it's great. And then one of them, one of the friends decides, Oh, I kind of like this over here. This is more my, my style that that's totally supported. Mm -hmm. And that's not suddenly Mm -hmm. taken as a personal affront of, Oh, you don't, you know, what I do isn't good enough anymore. It's like one has nothing to do with the other. Absolutely. These are, these are separate. We do have to take the politics. Yeah. We do have to take the politics out of organized religion, which covens are organized religion. Yep. So that's another thing that a seeker needs to decide. Do they want organized religion? That's a question they have to ask. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that we usually do at the end of our podcasts is we have something we do called As Below, So Above, where we discuss Uh uh, something we would like to let go of and something that we would like to bring in. It's kind of our spin on As Above, So Below. So, uh, Courtney, do you want to start us off with? I'm going to go with some good old standbys. I am releasing negativity, especially negative thoughts I have about myself, and I am bringing in focus. So good old standbys, but that's what I need right now. So about that shit. All right, I'll go next. I, Beverly, would like to, if only for today, let go of fear and embrace hope. So So mote that. uh, Yeah, so mote that for real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or as Octavia Butler would say, uh, so be it, see to it. Um, so for me, um, I, I have a tendency to be hypercritical of projects that I'm really, that I'm very excited about. Um, so I'm letting go of being hypercritical of myself, um, and, uh, and focusing on things that are really inconsequential and bringing in celebration of success successes and being able to focus on, um, on, on, you know, successes and steps in the right direction. Some of that. <laughs> How about that. So I think that one of the things that I've been really thinking about and, you know, with everything going on in the world and I, I have conversations with my children and I try and talk to them about things But the more that I I talk to them and and the more that I see, the more that I realize that really what you, what you read and what you can try and teach someone is, is so much more limited than life experiences. And so I'm trying to, for myself included and, and my family, I'm trying to bring in more fun, positive, meaningful life experiences that will just bring bring value to to our lives and to and to who we are and i'm i'm going to try and let go of the fear that no matter how hard i try and i think this is something all moms are going to relate to you always feel like you're not doing it right you're not doing it right you're not doing it well enough um you know you're not you're not doing enough and and so I'm going to try and bring in some me- really meaningful, important life experiences and let go of the fear that I'm, I'm not doing enough 
or not doing it right and just realize that everything I'm doing is impactful and meaningful and it's, I can just do what I can do. So about that. <laughs> so be it, see to it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Beverly. I feel like, I feel like you provided you so much amazing, me. I don't know, just so much amazing information and, and knowledge and wisdom on, on so many different things. I just, we can't thank you enough for being on. It was absolutely wonderful to have you here. Well, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to hear the podcast and thank you so much. And for those of you listening, um, we want to remind everybody, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and we also have an Etsy shop. And for the month of June, uh, 10% of all the proceeds of any sales on our Etsy shop go to Protect the Sacred. So it is a it is a group supporting frontline efforts uh, for uh, people in the Navajo Nation that are facing difficulties uh, due to uh, COVID nineteen and other difficulties that they are personally facing right now. So ten percent of all our Etsy sales thank you for that are going to that fundraiser, and we just thank you guys for listening. We always love uh, the emails and messages that we get uh, for topics and ideas that you guys have questions on or are curious about. Um, we learn things just like everybody else when we ask these questions. So it's, it's kind of, it's really fun to get these questions. Um, but thank you all for joining us and, uh, have a, have a great solstice. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So vote it be. Get a load of these broads thinking they know something about spiritual warfare. Did the little witch get her feces hurt? You might regret engaging in any witchcraft over the next 24 hours. If you try to send darkness towards our president, his family, or any of those who work to protect or defend, that same dark energy will boomerang back 1,000 times upon your head and the heads of witches around the world. Why don't you have me on your podcast and we can talk it out? Why all these beautiful gals block me the second I respond to them? Simply impossible to have a decent conversation with all this blockage. Just tell me when and I will call. I have a show too. I tried to private message you. I have no plans right now. Give me a call. I would love to chat on the podcast about tonight's witchy efforts against President Trump and the police. I made a movie while you waiting for you to call, but you never did. Now I have the sads. I need to sleep, but think of me as you nurture your 1,000 boomer.